It does not matter to me in the slightest if a kid can't say their S or if I can fix that if they're not invited to a birthday party. It doesn't matter to me if they have developmentally appropriate language if nobody's gonna go say hi to them on the playground. Hi, we are Colleen and Colleen, and we have made it our mission to spread kindness and make everyone feel like they belong. So each week we will share real life stories, motivating insights, and helpful tips that will inspire you to live a kinder, happier life. We believe that together we can make the world a much better place. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do this. Welcome to the You Fit Here podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to an amazing episode of You Fit Here. This is CS, and today I'm really, really, really excited to welcome Macy to the show. Macy is a speech-language pathologist, disability advocate, and children's author. She lives in Fort Worth, Texas with her husband, Brandon, adorable black lab puppy, Miller, and she she has so much that she's going to bring to this table. I've just been gushing over her with my kids since they got home from school, and we're just so happy to have you here. Welcome. I'm so excited to chat. You're so sweet. Well, I just, everything I read, I was like, oh my gosh, we are just one in the same, except for you have this degree in speech language pathology and I do not. But CB and I both, she has the book and I bought it on Kindle, but I'm going to order the hard copy because it's just such, it's such an amazing book. I I guess probably let's, let's start with that. Sure. Um, just, just tell us about the book and, and and then we'll we'll talk about your journey getting to the book. Perfect. Tell us about the book. So the book is about a first grade class. Developmentally, it is appropriate for K through two, sometimes third. Um, but as far as reading level, it's on a third grade reading level. So it's really good just for early um, elementary in general. But it's about a first grade class that goes to the aquarium. And the class, it's my hope that they are like the perfect model of what an inclusive class looks like. So half the class is neurotypical kids, half the class has kids with disabilities, but they're in the same class. They're together all the time. There's no separation. And they go on a field trip to the aquarium. And one of the students is in a wheelchair and he can't get to one of the exhibits. And so all of his classmates, because they are in an inclusive environment and they know about inclusion, they decide that unless he can be included or they can figure out a way that they are not going to go to that exhibit. So they brainstorm and come up with a way to make sure everyone's included. I have to tell you, my my third grader who read to us, I had already read it, but then he read it to us. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, well, what are they going to do? Because if this is the goal and my first grade daughter was like, well, maybe. So I'm not going to give it away. But she she was on the right path. Yeah, and she was, but it was really, it was a really neat, just behind the scenes little exercise because it got their brains thinking about what what would they do or how would they handle it? And then we talked about what if you were the one in the wheelchair? Mm-hmm. How would that make you feel? And so it was just a really good conversation. I'm and glad. it's beautifully illustrated too. Isn't she amazing? Oh my gosh. It's beautiful. And they were on my screen. So I kind of felt like I had probably even. It looked like a, really good on my Kindle too. I it's know. beautiful. Oh my and gosh. She is not even. Well, she is now an illustrator, but she had no desire or interest to be in the children's literature space. She is in graduate school to be an architect. So she's obviously a, a very talented artist, but 
that is where her passion lies. And so architecture and that kind of side of art is what she wants to do with her life. But obviously she's an incredible illustrator and I just love that she is able to so beautifully pursue both of them and be really good at both of them. That's so amazing. Well, so you are officially an author, a children's book author, which is incredible, but it it doesn't seem like that was necessarily the journey that you thought you would take mm-hmm. to to get to where you are right now. So I I want to start I want to start with your profession. You work with children with a lot of different types of diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about because you know, you hear emotional or physical, or you hear all of these different types, but can you talk a little bit to that about the t- different types of children that you work with? Sure. So I've worked in private practice, I've worked with adults, um, and I've worked in both public schools and non-public schools. And that's where I am right now in a public school. And right now I'm with fourth through 12th grade. Last year I was K through five. So I've seen them all. Um, and I love all of pediatrics in general, but Um, As far as, I mean, in school, you see a lot of autism diagnoses, Down syndrome, just speech and language. Um, Some kids we have with hearing loss. So a lot of different things you see in schools, but my kind of passion came out of private practice, actually. So I was working in private practice and parents come in for an initial intake with their child and we ask developmental questions, all sorts of questions. And at the end, we always ask, or I have always asked, what, what is your goal for your child? What do you want the most for your child? And as a professional, I always expected, well, I want my child to be able to say the S correctly, or I want my child to be able to communicate with their siblings or whatever it might be. And parents do say that, of course, in a speech evaluation. However, overwhelmingly, the answer that I heard was things that really have nothing to do with speech at all. I want my child to be included or I want my child to feel respected or I want my child to feel understood or valued or whatever it might be. And that kind of got me thinking a little more big picture. And for a while, it was hard for me to understand like, wait, you you don't really care that your child says the R perfectly. And then the more I started thinking about it, and now I can confidently say, even as a speech language pathologist, it does not matter to me in the slightest if a kid can't say their S or if I can fix that, if they're not invited to a birthday party. It doesn't matter to me if they have developmentally appropriate language, if nobody's going to go say hi to them on the playground. And so that's kind of what really got the ball rolling to thinking like big picture, because I know I can tackle the speech stuff on an everyday basis, but how do I tackle the other things that aren't necessarily in my scope of practice, but are things that are, I would say, more important than speech and language? Wow. <laughs> I feel like you answered a lot of questions that I I had, but don't worry. I've got plenty of questions to ask. That is truly um that's amazing. That's so amazing. <laughs> CB and I we, we were talking and she was like, "Okay, and, and ask this and talk about that." And the the main kind of thing was like, "How does one take their profession, their career, their their job?" Mm-hmm. And and discover a passion for something so much greater, and on that was. I'm that was just kudos you can figure that out on purpose. To me, that was never my intention. I was an athlete growing up, and I always thought 
um, after I played in college that I would go and continue playing. Um, and I was injured like so many of us are. And that ended that. And obviously, thank goodness for school and then grad school. And I just thought I'll be an SLP and it's a great job. It's a great job to have as a mom or, you know, all sorts of things that I liked about it, but it wasn't necessarily like this is the end all be all to my life. And that also probably was another factor in me being able to see that big picture. But for me, it started on accident. I think I had this revelation of like, I need to get a lot bigger of a group of people to help me with this. And so I went to social media and just my personal social media. And I told everybody that I was friends with, like, this is what I feel called to do. This is what I'm going to do. And this is what you can expect from my page here on out. I hope you're interested in it. If you're not, I understand this is how I'm going to roll. And so it started with just posting photos and sharing stories of families with kids with disabilities. And my thought behind that was if I want kids to be inclusive of kids that are different or my client with Down syndrome that comes in, I'm going to work on fixing his R, but I need the rest of my community to work on educating their kids so that he's invited to a birthday party. So that's kind of where it started. And I knew if people don't see or are exposed to people with differences, they don't know what to do. So I thought, I'm just going to post a picture. And hopefully now in between scrolls of people's home decor, people's outfits or people's kids, they're going to see somebody that they maybe have never seen before. And I'm going to have a chance to educate them. And so that's what I did. And it went farther than I ever thought it would. And so what started out just really as a tool to educate people turned into a way to connect now people in the disability community with other families if they don't know somebody in their personal circle that has kind of walked that same path. So not only do I get to educate a lot of people that don't come across disabilities in their daily life, but I also get to connect a lot of special needs families. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And so well said. I, I did a lot of digging, as I mentioned before we started the recording. And um, I mean, you definitely are not the average run of the mill, like, this is what I want to do. And because you were a division one volleyball player mm-hmm. for TCU, Texas Christian University. Yes. Right. Go Horn Frogs. Okay. <laughs> Go Horn Frogs. Um, and and so you got injured and was that injury something that ca- or was it while you were an athlete that because I, I read something about um, you took American Sign Language, which is something I'm actually very, 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 very interested in. And I've been looking on TikTok and trying to learn. The only thing I've learned so far is how to say like, hello, my name is Colleen, but I'm I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I have a passion for learning just so that when I go to Target and I see a sign at a cash register, mm-hmm. you know, that I can't hear you. I want to be able to sure. communicate with that person. I so that. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not really good at the second language thing, but I feel like my heart wants so badly to learn sign language, like God's going to help, help me yeah. out with that. Sure. <laughs> so that's amazing. But talk to me about that because why did you decide to take ASL? So in high school, I, obviously was playing volleyball and I had a teammate who was born, she's hearing, but born to deaf parents. And so she signed, she's now a sign language interpreter. Um, and so she always signed with her parents and like at tournaments or in between games, we would pick up silly things like, how do you say volleyball? How do you say, I don't know, whatever it was that day. And then on senior night, we all learned the national anthem so that we could sign it to her parents on 
our last game. So then fast forward, I get to college and I'm in my first season as an athlete, traveling all the time, missing all these classes. And my advisor says, what's something that I can put you in next semester? You just need an elective. I was like, well, give me like, what are the easiest things you have? She's like, well, I have sign language, like a bunch of football players take that. I think that might be really cool. And I'm like, oh, I already know the national anthem. I'm like, I got this. Yeah. So she me sign language and I loved it. And through a sign language was obviously taken through the school of communication disorders, which is where speech pathology is. And so then I took the next level of sign language the next semester. And then I started taking more speech classes. And then that's kind of how I fell into speech. So actually volleyball was the thing, I guess, that got me into speech and then brought me back after I was injured. So I was injured when I was 21 and I had a spinal fusion and a double laminectomy. And that was um, about two weeks before my senior season. So I played three seasons of indoor volleyball and one season of beach volleyball before I had my surgery. And then I did not play my senior year because of my surgery. Wow. I'm really sorry that that happened. So it was God a had a yeah, I bet. But looking back, maybe you can see that God had bigger for plans sure. for you and and at least you I mean, who gets to play beach volleyball D1 ever in their life? Like that's so cool. I, I had I honestly had so many experiences and I know just from my circle of athletes, I don't know a single person. My husband was an athlete and between us we've had several surgeries. And I don't know anybody that of my athlete circle that hasn't had surgery. So to us, it's very normal. But then sometimes I t- I'll test somebody else and they're like, wow. And I think just growing up in the, in the athletic realm, it's so normal. It's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I've had all these surgeries before I was a legal adult or, you know, whatever it was. But I am very thankful that I was healthy enough to play at a level that most people never get to never dream. I'm going to have to find some footage of you. I want to see a bump set spike series. <laughs> volleyball. I, I was never very good at volleyball, but it is my, f- I love sports, but I love an in-person high school girls volleyball game. I've never been to a college match, but I love volleyball. So it's a fun sport to watch. Well, and that's so interesting about your friend who was born to two deaf parents. That is just so fascinating to me. I think the statistic, I want to say it's around 80%, probably higher, of um, deaf children are born to hearing parents. And then hearing parent or deaf parents have about, I think, a 50-50 shot of having deaf children or hearing children. But yeah, most deaf kids are born to hearing parents. Um, and then hearing parents can have, or deaf parents can have hearing children. So that's fascinating to me. And, and wow, I got to wrap, wrap my head around that. Um, okay, so your website is beautiful. I don't know if you designed it or who did, but I know that the essence is you and all of the quotes are very beautiful. And there are several that I loved, but you, you yourself said, I believe the truest, deepest, most supportive communities are found with those who are willing to be vulnerable. And I personally love this so much because this is the whole reason why CB and I, we did our let's redefine normal campaign, which was just because because there's really no such thing as normal and everybody's different. Everybody has their behind the scenes story or the front page of the newspaper, whatever it may be. And so 
I just, I would love for you if you are, are able to expand a little bit about that. I didn't even know what it meant to be vulnerable mm-hmm. until I was in my 30s and I'm 36 now. So not that long. So just talk a little bit about that because I just love how you use your platform and your career to make the world a better place. Thank you. So like I said, I just started off on social media wanting to share families that had kids with disabilities. I was not born into a family with anybody with disabilities. I don't have a disability. And so I just really wasn't that exposed to it. And so I knew the only place I was going to find people was to just seek people out and ask. And I specifically was in like the disability realm of social media. And I started messaging people like, hey, this is what I want to do. This is what I feel called to do. Would you be willing to share your story? And there are many people that didn't want to. And I for a variety of reasons. And um, I have come to very much appreciate that answer for a lot of people. But then there are other people that are like, this is scary. This is, for some people, this was my worst nightmare that I I am now living. Or for some people, this is something I never expected and I still haven't wrapped my head around it. So I don't want to share it with the world or whatever. But some people, all the people that you see on my website have stepped forward and said, this is scary. I don't know what's going to happen by putting my face, my child out in social media for everybody to see, but I'm going to do it. And I think that's really where we saw the disability community be able to connect with each other because now we have people from all over the world that can find somebody and whether that's through me or me out of it can connect and say, Hey, like, this is what I'm walking through. And I know it's not the same path, but it's a very similar one. And then I'm out of it and now they can connect and build community on something that I'll never be able to relate to. Wow. That's so cool. It just, it's amazing. There are so many people out there with a platform of any kind. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes it's like, I, I wish you touch, you would touch more on this or what's really going on. And for you to be able to offer your space for other people to connect is such, it's just such a beautiful thing. I just, I'm so proud of you. And I just met you on zoom. I'm, I I just feel like it's, you said that this was something that you feel called to do. And as I said, it's, you know, going way above and beyond just the, you know, your run of the mill speech language pathologist. And I don't know what your day in and day out, especially with COVID. And so I want to touch on that and like how that's going, but I, 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 let's, let's talk about that for a minute because then I, I would really, I hope that you are willing to talk to me a little bit about a blog article, a recent blog article that you wrote about talking to your kids about other kids with disabilities. Personally, for me, it's some, it's important to me and I don't always know the right thing to say or the right way to approach it to not just, I don't want it to just be a, like a, this is my rule or this is what you, what is expected of you. Like I want it to be in their heart and I want it to yeah. be something that is. So anyway, talk a little bit. So you're in a public school setting right now. Are you in yes. school? So pre COVID I have been a teletherapist. Um, so my job didn't change a lot as far as me going into work or going into school because I've always worked from home and that affords me the freedom and the flexibility to also write the book and to do all the things I do with my wow. brand. So for me, not a lot changed, but obviously I went from having an aide take the kids from their classroom to our speech room, had all the activities. We did speech. They took them back. They were there if I needed something hands-on or help to now kids at home, which I'm sure you know, 
now we're doing speech at home. So that changed for me. Um, and in a lot of ways, it was really cool because I got to do a lot more parent training. Um, I got a lot more parental involvement as far as like parents seeing me do something and thinking like, well, I could do this too. And then we saw better accuracy. And um, so a lot of things were really cool. Obviously, a lot of things are really hard about virtual learning and um, just the year we've had in general. But thankfully, not a lot has changed for me as far as speech goes. Wow. And you have covered a lot of skill levels, ages, grades, stages. It sounds like I I can't even, I know for education, you're generally, you can do a certain thing, but so your degree enables you to, to cover all of those ages. Yes. And younger and older. And I think a lot of people, when they think of speech, they think of what I'm doing. So at a school working on speech sounds, but I've worked with adults in rehab facilities. I have friends that work in the NICU with like breast and bottle feeding disorders. Um, I have friends that work in nursing homes with stroke victims. So, I mean, really everything. And so like my little range of school age kids isn't very big compared to a lot of friends I have that see pediatric to geriatric. Well, and I noticed that you bring in, and I'm not sure if they're your personal friends or just people that you've met on your path of life or through your career, Mm -hmm. but you spotlight people on your blog who have their own stories to share. That is amazing. Is that something that people reach out to you for, or do you contact people to do something like that? Initially, I reached out to every, like those first 10, 15 stories you see, that was me going out, building a community of my own. And inviting them to share their story. Um, from there, once traction started growing on social media, people saw this was a place where they could come and be vulnerable, but also be supported. Then people started submitting their own stories. And for a while, I had just, I think, a maybe like a personal, I don't know if it was a crisis, but it was just a little personal bump in the road because I felt that well, first of all, I never thought it would be as big as it has become. And so I never thought it would have the attention that it has. And I never thought that it would be an issue that I don't have a disability and I'm not a mother of a child with a disability. I'm not a mother at all. And so for me, I had a lot of issues kind of working through, like, why am I here? What am I doing? Do people even think that I have a voice? Because I've never personally walked through it. And um, Heather Avis, who has a podcast called The Lucky Few, and she runs the entire Lucky Few brand. She has three children. They're all adopted. Two of them have Down syndrome. And so she talks all, all things Down syndrome. And I was listening to her podcast and she was talking about the weight of advocacy and how it's really heavy to carry a weight 24-7 fighting for your kid, whether that be in school, whether that be for your kid to be invited to a birthday party, whether it be for basic human rights. And so she was saying like, sometimes even as advocates, we have to set it down because sometimes it's just too heavy and we're not meant to live life under that kind of a weight. And that was the first time I realized like, I think I have a place because I can pick up that weight when it's too hard and when it's too heavy for everybody else that does it day in and day out. Because I don't wake up in the morning and have a child to fight for. I don't go to sleep at night and have a child to fight for. But I also, because I don't have that weight, have extra room to carry it. And so that's where I got a little bit more confidence as far as like, I can still create this space for people, even though 
I'm not directly impacted personally by disabilities. And so that's kind of, that was kind of a, I guess, a revelation for me. Um, and so that's where the sharing stories came in. All of that was just opening it up to other people and realizing like, this is okay. I don't have to be the end all be all to Macy Gilson. I can just be kind of the platform and everybody else can build on it. Oh my gosh. That that's, you just answered a question that I was trying to think (laughs) of how to ask, you know, I don't even know what I was going to ask, but you just answered my non-question. That's so, (laughs) that's so amazing. It just seems like it's, it was just something that was inside of you. It's kind of CB and I talk an awful lot about Disney movies, but Frozen too, mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. where she just doesn't really know. And sorry, I don't know why I'm talking about Frozen too, but you're just reminding me of, you know, you feel this calling, but you you don't really know where to go from a certain point. And we right. all encounter those bumps in the road right. every every day. Mm-hmm. But what a cool thing! And you work with a lot of these kids who have these types of disabilities. And so that surely makes you a little bit closer to not necessarily directly impacted, but in a way you, you are. For sure. And I'm, I mean, without that, I wouldn't, there wouldn't be no Macy Gilson doing all of this for the disability community. So even though I am very passionate about the field of speech pathology, I it is not the top priority in my life. My career as a speech pathologist isn't as important to me as my career as a disability advocate. Um, and that is something I never envisioned just because I wasn't personally affected by disabilities. But um, it's definitely been a dream come true. And I don't think a lot of people are fortunate enough to kind of just like discover their passion at 25. So for me, it's I feel very, very fortunate that I'm in this space and that the disability community welcomes me without a disability with open arms. That's so amazing. I never would have thought that that anybody wouldn't welcome you because of just your presence on social media and then just seeing seeing your beautiful face here and now. But I I think that's so neat that you have that to share. What about your husband? What does he think about all of this? So he I mean he's always we've been together since we were 19. So he's always told me like I know that you're going to do something big I just don't know what it is you don't know what it is but I just know it's going to be something big and I would tell him like I don't I don't know what it is I I don't know what you're talking about and I like I feel like this passion that I want to do something but I don't I don't I didn't know it was to write a book I didn't know it was to open a shop and so I think for me it's having the support of somebody who is there to say like just like one day at a time keep walking, like just have faith that where you are is where you're meant to be. Um, and I think the biggest thing for, that he's given me is just that confidence and that faith of, even though I feel like I don't belong here sometimes, there is room for me at the table. So this might be kind of a, a hard question for you because you have, you've worked with so many different types of people mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if you're still connected with any of your former patients when you were in private practice, but is there any one or two stories that have impacted you in a way that have really driven you to keep going with what you're doing when maybe things were like, where am I going with this? I think for me, I've been very 
encouraged, not necessarily by my patients, although they are a source of daily encouragement, but I've been more encouraged by the relationships that I've built on social media, whether that be the families that I've connected with. Um, And I think maybe because I get to see a daily basis of them or them at home or whatever that I don't necessarily get to see working with them at school or whatever it might be. And so maybe that's why I feel a little bit more connected. Um, But I also have learned a lot from my adult patients. I worked uh, maybe two or three years ago now um, in rehab facilities for adults with developmental disabilities. I was working with a patient who was close to 60 and um, he had an intellectual disability and we worked on all sorts of things, but Every day I came with a cup of coffee that my husband so graciously made me. I would show up with my little travel Starbucks mug and drink coffee. And we would do speech. And he was my first client of the day. And then one day he asked me, can I have have your coffee? And I looked at him like, oh, no, like, I don't want to. I don't think we should share. I may have my lipstick on it. I I just, I was kind of baffled by the question. And then I asked him like, what? do you, do we have coffee here? Do you want me to go get you some coffee? And he's like, Oh, I only get coffee twice a month. And I thought like, why do you only get coffee twice a month? Thinking like, good thing. That's not true for me. Cause I don't know how I'd make it. And he said that his, um, the, the woman that runs the group home that he lives in for other adults with developmental disabilities gets gas twice a month. And when she's at Seven Eleven, the men and one woman are allowed to get out and go get a cup of coffee. So he says twice a month, he gets his coffee. And so on the way out, I'm thinking like, I am going to 7-Eleven next week and I'm getting you a cappuccino. (laughs) So sure enough, I drove on my way to go get him a cup of coffee. I walk in, there's a sign at the back that says, sorry, coffee machine's broken. So I think I'm just doing this fantastic deed and I'm irritated and I get back in my car and I drive to the next 7-Eleven and I get there and I'm waiting in line and the person in front of me can't decide what lottery ticket they want. And I'm going to be late and it's all for this cappuccino. I get in the car and I am just like over the moon proud of myself for this incredible act of service that I'm doing. And I get there and I proudly present it to him. I'm like, I got you coffee today. And he's like, thanks. He's like, well, do you want to taste it? He's like, "Mm, I want to do speech first. I'm like, okay, let's do speech first. So we do speech and I'm just like chomping at the bit for him to like praise me for this coffee that I got him. And so like 15 minutes go by and I'm like, are you sure? Cause it's going to get cold. Like, do you want it? So he takes a sip and I'm like, how was it? And he's like, it's okay. And in my head, I'm like, do you know the effort that I just went to, to get you this cup of coffee? And I think it was at that moment, this was pretty early on in my advocacy career, I guess. It really was a perspective moment for me because I walked out like kind of angry. Like you didn't even appreciate this coffee that I got you. And it was a total check-in for me of like, if my heart is not in this, my act of kindness means absolutely nothing. It's not an act of kindness. It's an act of self-service. And I got him that coffee because I wanted him to think I am so great because I went and got him 7-Eleven coffee. And so I'm continually humbled, especially by adult clients. Um, But I would say out of everything, I'm most thankful for the relationships that I've gotten to build with my community on social media. And so many of them feel like friends, like I sent Christmas cards to and like, I love being a part of their life. And I would have never, ever met so many, any of these people. Oh my gosh. I feel like, I mean, you're a baby, you're 25, but as a, 
well, 26 now, <laughs> but I mean, um, I feel that on the daily with my kids. And so on the daily, I'm having a, I mean, I signed up for this and I need to be who I needed when I was their age. And this is not about me, even though I still feel like I'm the, ba- I mean, I'm the baby, mm-hmm. but it is once, wow, that is that I'm so, I'm thankful that you shared that. I feel like so often we, we just want to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's just a human, that's just being human, yeah. but I mean, you know, he probably was so grateful. Mm-hmm. He just had his own weird, odd way of showing it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But even if he wasn't, I think it was a teaching moment for me that he, my kindness should not have relied on him being thankful. Right. Just like my advocacy does not rely on if somebody sends a mean message on Instagram or if people choose not to follow or if people tell me, you don't know what you're talking about because you're not a mom of a child with disabilities or whatever. That It's just a good reminder that that doesn't matter. And in the same way, my act of kindness toward him doesn't matter. His response, he could have thrown it in the trash and it still wouldn't have made that act of kindness any less. And I think that's kind of where I really realized like my heart has to be in this regardless of especially on social media, how people are going to respond. And we know social media is not the nicest of places, even in a space that you think would be very kind. So it's just a good reminder. I love that. We all need that reminder. I, I really, I'm, thank you for sharing that story. I can picture this man in my mind. I'm sure he's nothing like what I'm picturing, but we, no matter what, that's, it doesn't matter who sees it, who doesn't, it's, it's what we give with our hearts that matters. And that's, that is just a perfect lesson. Um, do you, I hate to even imagine that you get any kind of backlash or the opposite of support. D- mm-hmm. That does happen? On social media? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I walk a fine line. My husband and I have this conversation all the time because, of course, he's with me all the time. So he sees every message that comes in or he sees every comment, whether I delete them and the world sees them he's with me and seeing these things all the time. And so we have this conversation a lot because I try to balance how much do I share as far as negative comments, negative things like that, as in not deleting them or anything like reposting them, or how many do I just delete and move on? And for the most part, when it is a comment about somebody's child, I delete it instantly because For me, they have been vulnerable, come into my space, shared their story with the world, and now somebody else is coming in and it's my responsibility to to protect them from that. And so almost instantly I delete them, especially like private messages, comments, whatever. However, sometimes I will reshare them, block out whatever child they were talking about, but I'll share them. And without fail, I get many, many messages after I do this because I think it's a good wake up call for people that aren't in the disability community. So I think there are most people that follow me are in the disability community, but there are also people that aren't. And I want people that aren't in the disability community to know that there is a lot of hatred that exists. There is a lot of nastiness that exists. And if we all just go about our days thinking like, Oh my gosh, everybody just is so inclusive and so welcoming, which is what my page is. That's not a picture of, what the real world is like. And so I never want anybody to walk in and think like, well, the work is done. Like we have already beat this discrimination and we've already beat this lack of inclusion. 
because that's not the truth. So every once in a while I do share them. And like I said, it's a balancing act between what do I share? What do I not? But without fail, people message me like, no way somebody actually said that, or I cannot believe it. Um, so they do come in a lot more often than I'd like to admit, but I don't share them. Um, just out of well, a lot of reasons, but I think every once in a while it's good for people to see that there are really people that think this of people with disabilities. I, there are people who just have nothing nice to say about whether, you know, and sometimes I see certain comments that I'm like, I can't believe someone took the time to say that to someone that they don't really even know mm-hmm. anything about. It's It really is when I, I mentioned to you, if I went any other path with my life, I would really like to get more inside people's brains. It's because I really don't understand what good can come from that unless it is to just show like this is what the world is like and this is what people are up against. And if it were my child not being invited to a birthday party, you know, I I mean, it seems like you you cover it all, but what a cool space. And let's say someone came to you with a disability you had never heard of and they wanted you to talk about that or learn more about it or teach you more about that. Is that something that you're open to or what does your schedule allow for that? That's happened many times. There's a lot of rare disabilities that I've talked about. Um, But more often than not, when people come to me, I don't do anything other than hit send and it publishes on the website or ask for a photo, post it, and maybe share like a snippet of it. Um, Every once in a while, things that I know and work with a lot, I share about whether it be in a blog post or just like an educational thing or an Instagram TV, something like that. I'll talk about it out of my own knowledge. But if it's something that is really rare, I let the parent do all the educating. Um, I direct any comments. Like if people message me, oh, my cousin just had a daughter who also has this. I'm not going to step in and act like I am the, the the knowledgeable one. So I just always direct them back. And that's where that community, that special needs community is formed because now they can walk forward together on a path that I'm not on. Well, wow. I love, I just love what you do. I can imagine that it must be a very just fulfilling. I don't, you just must feel fulfilled most of the time. I'm sure life is not perfect. And those trolls aren't, you know, creeping in on, on all of your, your pride for what you're doing. You pat on the back, but I, I think it's so important because in the day to day and, and when we encounter people who look different or act different Mm -hmm. or, or who talk differently, I mean, in light of COVID, I haven't taken my kids to the grocery store in many, many moons, but I really, really liked your post about how to handle, talk to your children about other children with disabilities. And you have five things. And if you are okay with it, I would just like to share those things and then just have you expand just very briefly on those things. I think this is such a great toolkit for people to keep. And I think I'm going to put something in the blog where if someone wants to print it out and whip it out, because just like sign language or Spanish. We don't expect people to memorize these things, but these are a self-reflection type of exercise. These are exercises for me as an adult and something I want to share with my parents. And 
just going forward, I think these are just all really awesome. And I don't know if these are just things that you yourself have adopted from other people or if they're because you are a speech language pathologist, but they just are really well written and awesome. So is that okay? Yeah, for sure. I, those are my, my five. I think a lot of disability advocates have different things, but those are my five. And this came about because I was attracting a lot of people on social media that are either a parent of a child with a disability, a special education teacher, or a person with a disability, which is great, which is who I need in my community. But I think I was turning away a lot of people that don't have a child with a disability or like me, don't even have kids or whatever, because they were coming and they were seeing like, oh, okay, this is a space for people with disabilities. She's selling something that I don't need. And then they don't join our community. And I realize that's a huge problem because people in the special needs community already know all five things before. I don't need to say those things to tell them. I don't need to tell them that kids are invited to birthday parties because they live it day in and day out. So that those five things came of about as like a way to include people that probably come by and think like, I don't need what she has. So this was my way to include parents of kids without disabilities. Okay. I love that. And it is a shame. I hope everybody will follow along with you because you just never know. I sometimes think it's when the stars align, you start following Macy Gilson and then you encounter somebody who all it would take is one, two, three, four, or five from you to make their whole day Mm -hmm. and make your day. Okay. All right. Enough about that. Okay. So your first, your first thing, tip, life lesson, whatever, um, is to talk about differences. Mm -hmm. Tell me me more. So when I was growing up, and my mom does not like when I say this, and I say it all the time, but when I was growing up, I was taught, don't stare. And I'm sure you were taught that. My husband was taught that. We all teach our kids that. I've said it to kids. But if you don't say anything, and I don't say anything, because we're all trying not to stare, nobody says hi to that kid or that adult that's different. And that creates a horrible, horrible cycle. So instead of teaching our kids not to stare, we have to teach them to say hi. We have to teach them to smile, to ask a name, to make a compliment, anything, but don't stare. I would rather, and I think every special needs parent would tell you the same thing. I would rather your child stare and acknowledge the humanity of the person that's different than not look at them and in a, in a really sad way, not acknowledge them as a human. So talk about differences. Um, that, that's where that came from. Um, differences are not bad. They're not weird. They're not scary. We talk about differences on a daily basis. We talk about, I have green eyes. My sister has brown eyes. I have straight hair. She has curly hair. And we talk about differences all the time. But for some reason, when it comes to differences, as far as level of ability, we freak out and we think it's this weird thing. And the more you talk about it, the more familiar your kids are. So that's why talking about differences needs to be normalized. Absolutely. Um, This last year with COVID, this didn't happen. But the year before was my first year leading my kids' school Everybody Counts program with a friend of mine who I went to high school with who has three kids and her middle daughter, Paige, has Down syndrome. And she talked to the kids. She showed us this amazing video about these these kids that didn't have disabilities who were best friends with a kid who had Down syndrome. Have you have you seen that video? I haven't seen it. I know the Best Buddies program that that came from. 
Okay. Well, the video is amazing and I cry every time I see it. And I've, I've watched it with my kids and I've sent it to my parents. And so I've watched it several times, but she got up and she, you know, she talked about kind of what you just said Mm -hmm. and she's like, and I can't speak for every parent who has a child who looks different, but if you have a question, I would love to answer it. And, and Paige would love to answer. And Paige was there and it was a really cool interactive thing that, and she is, she was born to be Paige's mom. It is a very beautiful thing to watch from the sidelines. And I'll never forget when she had her because my, my mom's sister, Jeannie had Down syndrome. And so I lived after my grandmother passed away. My aunt Jeannie lived with me when I was in high school for two weeks on and two weeks off going back and forth between two sisters. And so I had tons of experience with a very high functioning, um, amazing legend, my aunt Jeannie. I mean, I'm telling you, she was up on stage with Richard Simmons called out from, I mean, she's just like superstar of, of all of our lives. We miss her dearly, but, um, you know, she reached out and said, I wonder if I could talk to your mom. And she just took off. It was like, I mean, there was never any doubt. She, Mm -hmm. she has to be this person for Paige and she's mainstreaming her and it's just a really cool thing. But so you, that first thing, when I read it, I was like, that's so important. And mm-hmm. I think if it were me, I would rather someone, you know, I, I would rather say, oh, I can see, you know, maybe do you have a question or how do you want to approach that? And everybody's different. Sure. And I understand that people respond differently to things, but I really love, I love number one, but I love, num- I love them all. Okay. <laughs> Your number two is use inclusive literature, yeah. just like your amazing kindness is golden book, but Tell me more about that. So when I became a disability advocate, that's not a professional term. That's like, I named myself that after being in the disability space and I stepped out and said, this is who I'm going to advocate for. So if anybody wants to be a disability advocate, you can do it. You don't need anything. You can just call yourself that and live in it every day. So when I became a disability advocate, I was asked these questions all the time. How do I, I don't have a child with a disability, but I want them to be inclusive. What do I do? Or teachers saying, I'm not a special ed teacher, but I want my students to know about kids with disabilities. What do I do? And the answer is every single time, read books with characters with disabilities. And not as an unbiased, this is before I was a children's author. I've always said that this is the best way kids we know learn from reading. Literature is the foundation of education and as even as a speech pathologist and somebody who really values language, there is a lot to be learned from books and inclusive books naturally foster questions. And so like in kindness is golden. I've never one time say, this is Oliver. He wears cochlear implants and he has a hearing loss. Or this is Henry. He's in a wheelchair because he has cerebral palsy. Never one time. And the reason why is because I want families. I want kids to do what kids do best and ask questions and say, mom, Why does that girl not have a hand? And then you, as a mom, have a chance to say, well, I don't know. Why do you think so? And you can have a family discussion about it. And so I think inclusive literature lets your kids ask questions and then naturally brings up these conversations so that you don't have to have like this formal, we're going to be a family and we're going to meet about what to do when we see somebody in a wheelchair. That's not how kids learn. So the more inclusive books you have, the more chances you have for your child to ask questions more conversations you can have and it can just be a normal part of your family and your life and your community and things you talk about versus 
waiting till you run into somebody in the grocery store that has a limb difference or whatever, and then needing to go home and talk about it, you can say, hey, remember we read Kindness is Golden and that character Nora also had a limb difference. Remember Nora? And then you have something to reference back on. And then your kids will be like, oh yeah, okay, I've seen that before. Instead of like, mom, what's going on? Right. Wow. Yeah. My my friend Erin, who we interviewed very early on for the podcast, was with her mom and her sister in a Kmart when she was little. Mm-hmm. And she picked up a bottle of toothpaste and there was a bomb and she lost her left arm or really it's more her hand but um she has a prosthetic eye and a prosthetic arm and she also came to speak at the everybody counts program because i just call upon the people that i know who are willing and she passed around her arm Mm -hmm. and the kids talked about it they wouldn't stop and my son my third grade son we were actually watching a movie that we read the book Christmas Jars. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing book, by the way. Um, it, um, and the movie came out and he paused it and he said, you know what I have noticed? There aren't a lot of movies anymore where without people that are like in a wheelchair or with a disability or who aren't gay or something. And mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. And I was like, me too. And I hadn't even picked up on that. But but for him, I mean, he and of course, I my hope is that 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 isn't his thought, but that's how we get there is just by normalizing all of these different kinds of things. So inclusive literature. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, number three, self reflect. This is a big one. This is a big one. And I am coming at this from a humble place. I'm not a mom and I'm not a teacher. And so for this one always makes me uncomfortable to talk about because I feel like I'm telling moms how to parent. How no, you should not feel uncomfortable. You are amazing. And I'm a mom and I'm telling you, you are amazing. Thank you. So this comes really just any adult. You don't have to be a mom or a teacher to do this, but kids do everything we do. Everything we say, they're going to say, you know this, any mom knows this. And so the first step before you can expect anything of your child is to expect it of yourself. What do you feel when you see somebody that's different in a grocery store? For me, until I was 22, I felt uncomfortable when I would see somebody different and I would look away. I don't want to stare. I don't want to be disrespectful. So I'm just not even going to acknowledge them. And so really examining yourself, like, what do you think? What do you know? What do you not know? What do you need to know more about? When somebody says Down syndrome, do you have any idea what they're talking about? Or do you need to go to Google and do some research? And that really is the best place to start. I know it's number three on the list. It should be number one because we, again, can't expect anything of our kids, nor can we continue to foster a conversation if we don't have the answers. And it's fine to not have all the answers, but when you read an inclusive book and your kid asks a question, it would go a lot farther if you were able to answer it and have a discussion than for you to say, oh, I don't know, because I've never looked into that or I've never thought about it or whatever the case might be. So you don't need to go down some research hole on the internet, but in as far as self-reflecting, it's more of a, what, what, where does your mind go when you think of disabilities? How do you react when you are confronted with somebody with a disability? Um, and for people that looks different, for you, you grew up knowing about disabilities and having a person to reference Whereas a lot of people, I grew up and I could maybe point to like, oh yeah, that guy in my second grade class, but I had no 
nobody to reference. And so for me, that was social media. So to this day, most of many of the people I follow are not just moms of kids with disabilities, because that's a different perspective, but actual adults with disabilities who can tell us a lot about how they feel when somebody ignores them or when they were a kid and what kids did that made them feel really hurt and really um, not valued. Whereas a mom perspective is a little bit different because they see it for their child, but they're not experiencing it as the child is. So I think having a good combination of both following people, especially on social media, so that every single day you're just learning a little bit more about something. Absolutely. And hashtags are so big. I I feel like a lot of times and I need to do this more and I would encourage other people to as well or reach out to someone like you or someone in your community. But if you have a, an actual question about how to handle something, how to make someone feel, you know, human, mm-hmm. you know, good about who they are or special or just not invisible to you, you can look at hashtags and see people pour their hearts out. Mm-hmm. You know, people give advice, even if it's unsolicited and if we can just get to know the people out there in, in the community that, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole, the world, people are just sharing. There's just so much goodness out there and we love to shed light on all of the good. And I know that there's bad, but that, that self-reflect piece, that's pretty big. I think I really, I love utilizing TikTok for that too. I'm also trying to learn more about Hanukkah right now. Mm-hmm. Um, CB's husband is Jewish. And so okay. they have, you know, they celebrate, they, they're half seas. They celebrate both. And I love that, but I don't want to wish somebody a happy Hanukkah and not, not know what Hanukkah is. And that, that's something that's not a disability, obviously, but just people are different and they have different backgrounds and we just need to, we don't have to know it all or understand it all, but we just have to care enough to recommend social media not if you're seeking like medical advice or you've received a diagnosis, don't go to social media. However, if you're seeking to learn, I would recommend to go to social media because if you go online and what many parents have received a in utero diagnosis will say, it is very, very negative and it's written from a strict medical perspective. And if you read the medical perspective on Down syndrome, you are going to frame a completely different mindset of Down syndrome versus if you follow the lucky few, or you follow the Trisomy 13 or Trisomy 23 or 21 or whatever hashtags, you'll learn so much more about different disabilities than you will on Google. And you'll be able to see real names and real faces. And then if you want to then connect with them. Yeah. And you yourself offer amazing resources on your website. I should mention that too. So um, social media and then platforms like yours, you have parent resources and education educator resources, right? Um, I looked at all of it and it was amazing and it's free. And that sounds like it's too good to be true, but it, 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 it's not, I mean, it is, but it's not, it's, it's really, it's available to people. And so I will obviously link your website and everything there is to know about you under the sun on the show notes and the blog, but, um, okay. There are two more of these points. Mm -hmm. And if, if I don't, keep going, then we'll never stop. Okay. Number four is encourage questions. So kind of ties in a little bit with the talking about differences, but it's also a little bit different because it's an actual, you have to be thoughtful with mm-hmm. encouraging this. Yeah. So I was actually talking to a teacher a couple months ago and she's a Jenna teacher, but she wants to expose her kids to disabilities. And she was saying like, I don't want it to be this formal, awkward, like 
ask me a question about disabilities. And then the whole class has to like dream up these questions. And so I was telling her to, in order to make it kind of like a natural conversation, which is what we all want, do things on purpose that you know kids are going to ask questions about. So when you're drawing your stick figures on the board, throw in somebody that doesn't have an arm, throw in somebody that's sitting in a wheelchair or whatever, throw in some hearing aids on somebody or in the worksheets that you give or, you know, whatever it is, because somebody in the class is going to raise their hand and say, Mrs. Gilson, you forgot an arm on that guy or whatever it is. And then look, like there you have your conversation. So again, kids do not ask questions to be mean or to be malicious. They do it to learn. And when we shush them or when we tell our kid, oh, we'll talk about that when we get in the car, we are innately teaching them that what they're asking is bad disabilities is bad. Asking why somebody's wearing a cochlear implant is bad. And so obviously this comes with a lot of practice. I don't think the first time your kid asks something in the grocery store, you're going to be like, well, let's have a conversation right here. But if you've been reading inclusive literature, if you've been talking about differences and similarities, you can say, oh yeah, remember we read about that. Oh, let's read that when we get home. And that is a much different answer than, shh, we'll talk about it later. So I think questions kids obviously are doing it naturally. And it is the easiest way to get into a conversation about disabilities is to make intentional choices that you know, they're going to ask questions about. One thing that I hate, for instance, um, before COVID, we saw a little boy in a wheelchair at the grocery store without legs. Mm -hmm. And we were quite a way away from him. And so my kids two of my kids asked me, well, what do you think happened to that little boy? Mm-hmm. And I hate to take a stab in the dark, but I said, well, I suppose a number of things could have, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that was right or wrong, but then of course I had to dwell on it and call my mom when I got home. And she's like, I think, you, you know, and so, you know, I said, well, what do you think could have happened? And my, my son, Ryan's like, well, maybe they got bit off by a shark. Mm-hmm. And I'm my daughter said, well, maybe he was born like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we don't know. Right. Well, what would you say? The exact if- same thing. I would okay. say the same thing. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> I would say the same thing. I definitely, I'll tell you some things I would not say. I would not say, don't stare. I would not say, let's talk about it when we get home. I would not say, why don't you ask him? Um, I think with kids, a lot of parents will tell you, I encourage questions. But that a question to the parent is different than a question to the kid. So for instance, if your son walks up and says, hey, what happened to your legs? That's not going to go over well. Whereas if you see an adult that's in a wheelchair and your child's trying to learn, asking a question is different in that scenario. So obviously, you know that. And that's something that's very obvious when you're there. Um, but again, exactly what you were saying, what do you think? And when you guys get home, you can talk about, well, he could have been born that way. He maybe got sick and they had to amputate his legs. What's amputation? Let's talk about that. Um, but there's no, there's no wrong way. There are just some things I would not say. Um, but I think you handled that beautifully, and especially letting them have the freedom to decide what they think might've happened. Um, And then always, I know we're going to touch on the last one, but then always drawing some sort of a similarity because it's so obvious that they are different. It's obvious that he doesn't have legs and my son does or whatever it might be. But, and I know we can just move on to the last point is highlighting similarities because I think you can always help your kids see that they're more alike than different. And so I always tell parents, 
let's say your daughter sees a little girl in a wheelchair. She asks you, why is that girl in a wheelchair? You can say, oh, I don't know. Maybe she was born like that. Maybe her legs work differently than yours. It looks like she uses her wheelchair to get around. You use your legs to walk around. Remember so-and-so from that movie we watched or whatever. And then I would end that with like, oh, look, she has an Elsa, Elsa shirt and we just saw Frozen too. Like, I bet you guys both like Elsa. And always figuring out some sort of a way. I don't care if it's their hair color. I don't care if it's that she's looking at something specific in the toy section, finding a way. And whether it's drawing a parallel to your child or maybe you're there with your son, you say, oh, look, she has an Elsa shirt. Like, remember your cousin, Macy? She just was talking about Frozen 2 or she wants to be Elsa for Halloween or whatever it is. Find something from somebody that your child knows and identifies with that can draw that back together because we always want to leave the mark that you have differences, but you are no better than the other person. Um, you are no smarter. You're no more beautiful. And so by highlighting a similarity, we can brush off a difference like, oh, yeah, you're different. But you're also the same in a lot of ways. Instead of like, oh, yeah, they're different. They don't have legs. So there is no way that you guys could both be nine-year-olds. So I think that helps kids a lot, too, because... In their mind, they look at physicality, and so they see a physical difference, and they think, like, well, we're not the same, and we never can be on any level. And so it's our job as parents and as teachers to help them realize that you're more alike than different. You're first both children. You both are smart. You both are loved. You both are important. Oh, yeah, and it looks like you will use your legs, and she's in a wheelchair. Or, oh, it looks like you don't have an Elsa shirt yet, and she does. Or it doesn't have to be necessarily physical difference. Right. Right. I really, I really love that one too. I, I just, it, they kind of all draw from each other mm-hmm. because an easy way to highlight similarities is if you do bring home literature that yes. explores all these different types of people and places and, and because, you know, kids have empathy and they, they're sensitive and so good at this. They, they really are. It's pretty amazing. And so, I, I love all of that. Um, everything that you do is amazing. And my, my last question, and probably not a question, it's probably out there everywhere, but I think I read Kindness is Golden is is going to be part of a series. Yes, it is. So what do we expect next from you? All of the series, all of the books in the series are still going to follow the same Miss Clark's first grade classroom. Um, there will be for the most part, the same class of kids. But of course, at school, new kids come to school, some kids leave school. So there will be different characters with some different disabilities. Um, But it will follow that same class. And my hope is that the, the students go to Golden Elementary School. And it's my hope that Golden Elementary School is looked at as kind of the gold standard for how a school should deal with inclusion, how a school should look at mainstreaming versus seclusion, special ed versus gen ed. As someone that works in the school system, I recognize that both have a place, but I hope for this to be kind of the the gold standard for what kids should hope for in their classroom, what teachers should hope for in their students, and what schools should hope for just in their school culture. I love that. I love what Miss Clark says before they take off for the aquarium, mm-hmm. and I love the motto. I love the school name and everything. I mean, it, it's and it's so beautifully written and illustrated and and so congratulations on that and I I can't wait to see what's next for you it just seems like it's almost like you're just beginning but I know you've come such a far away from where you thought you'd be and yeah I know I started 
uh, my advocacy in the middle of 2019. So it was a year this summer. So it's about a year and a half now. And it's much more, much bigger part of my life than I ever imagined it would be. But at the same time, I can't imagine not like now that I am know and I'm in this space, I can't imagine ever not seeing it and kind of turning away or shying away from it because it's kind of like once you know, you have to be in it, you have to be committed to it. Um, and that's what I think we have a saying that when you know better, you can do better. And so once we've educated somebody on something, now you, like it's like bubbling out of you. Like I would hope that you leave this conversation feeling like, oh my gosh, I got to tell somebody this. And that's how I feel. And I learn from so many people on a daily basis that I think it just continues to fuel that fire. Well, I know that people are going to want to follow you. So I'll link everything. MacyGilson.com is your website, which is very cool that you could grab that. I don't know any other Macy Gilson's, but I just feel like that's really cool. And it's beautiful. And your Instagram is beautiful. And so I'll link that for, for everybody. Is there any other channel that I don't know exists? I don't people... think so. Instagram, Facebook. I also put a lot of my free resources. All of my resources are free. I put all of my resources on Pinterest too. Um, and I share all the kids on Pinterest too. Again, because I hope that somebody's going to come across it and learn something. Well, I know that everybody who tuned in today learned something. I encourage people to look for opportunities, even if it's a self-reflection you know, I'm talking to myself in the car about this and how you want to handle it because practice makes better and we just have to keep practicing how to be better humans every single minute of every single day. So Macy, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I wish you not the best luck because we don't really believe in that, but your hard work will pay off. And I just, may God bless you. Thank you. Honestly. I'm so encouraged by parents who don't have a child with a disability who want better for their kids and they want to raise inclusive kids. It seriously is, it's amazing. Well, I don't think there's anything more important. And I, I know that so many people out there can relate. And if they can't, then I bet that there's a fire in their hearts. So job well done. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we'll, we'll follow along. We won't miss a single thing. Thank you. Thank you, Macy.